The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. What I want us to do is this. Take your Bible. This is not my text, but take your Bible and turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And what I would like for us to do, something that the evangelist God used in my life in a tremendous, tremendous way when he came to the Bahamas to preach at our church, he used this verse every time he got up to preach. And it's almost to just kind of recalibrate our minds uh, back where it belongs. And so Psalm 119, verse number 18. And so to remember it, he would say Psalm 119, one eight. So what I'd like for us to do is this. I'd like for us to say Psalm 119.18, say the verse, and then I'm going to say, let's say it again, but this time say it prayerfully and asking God to truly open our eyes and open our hearts to what he has for us this morning. All right? So you have it? You have it there with you? Okay. So let's say it together. Psalm 119.18, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. All right, now let's say it another time now and make it a prayer. So let's bow our head, close our eyes, and let's say Psalm 119.18 together. Psalm 119.18. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. Um, God, you are on the throne. Uh, you are alive. You are good. You are holy. You are just. You are all that we need. And I pray that you would use the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to encourage your saints. And also, God, there might be some who are not your saints. May they be challenged and convicted and encouraged to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So we thank you, God, for this time, and we ask that you meet with us. We ask these things in the precious name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. His name was Jordan Cordella. He is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. He had a girlfriend, and he was in love with this girlfriend. How many of you in here are in love? Let's see your hand. Okay, about three of you. Good. All right. So he had this girlfriend, so he was in love with this girl. Well, the girlfriend broke up with him, as sometimes girlfriends do. So he had an idea. He said, I bet I could get her back if I get shot. So, and this is a true story. It's happened in Milwaukee. So he goes to his friend, Jason, and he says, hey, Jason, can you shoot me? Because if you shoot me, then my girlfriend would feel sorry for me and want me back. Jason said, you're crazy. I'm not going to do that. So he went to his other friend, Michael. And so he went to Michael and he said, hey, Michael, my girlfriend left me, but I believe if, if, if I get shot, she'll come back. 
And so he asked Michael, he said, can you shoot me? I want you to notice these words. Can you shoot me several times in the chest and back? Michael, not much sharper, but a little bit sharper, said, no, I'll just shoot you in the arm. He shot him in the arm. When this was all found out, Jordan wasn't supposed to even be around guns, much less have a gun. So he got arrested. Michael got arrested and was given probation and what have you. And he literally apologized to the court for wasting the time with something so silly over a girlfriend that he loved. Oh, and by the way, the girlfriend never came to visit him. That word love can make you do some strange things. I've, I personally, and this is, this is a true, true story. Why do preachers have to say true story, right? But this is a true story. I've seen a man stand in front of a plane because he did not want it to take off with the girl he was in love with. And that's one of those with the propellers. But that's what love does. Love, love makes you do things you never thought that you would do. I want you to take your Bibles with me, please, and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians. Just a little background to the book of 2 Corinthians. Corinth, which is the place, Corinthians were from Corinth. Corinth is located in Greece. They had a very strong economy. They had a very pagan and sensual religion, and they had an excellent education system. Paul first visited Corinth about 52 AD. He met up with Aquila and Priscilla and was there approximately 18 months, and he established a church at Corinthian, at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, when Paul received understanding of what was happening, he heard some of the negative things that was happening in Corinth. So he writes the first letter. Here are some of the problems that they had in 1 Corinthians. There was division in the church. There was questions about Paul's authority. Who was this Paul to tell them how to live? There was incest in the church. Uh, the Christians were taking each other to court. Uh, there were some practices and different things going on. There was a lot of different things happening. And so Paul wrote a strong rebuke in 1 Corinthians. Well, as it implies, 2 Corinthians was the second letter Paul wrote to Corinth. This letter now, he wants to kind of find out exactly what happened. How did they receive the first letter? How did they receive the rebuke? Did things change? Did things get better? And so he goes on and he speaks about that in 2 Corinthians. But our text this morning is in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And the Bible says this in verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should live not henceforth after, live henceforth, live unto them themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Let me read verse 15 again. And that he died for all 
that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Paul said this. He said, the love of Christ constrains us. So when I started to think about this verse, I started to think, well, which love is it? Is it my love for Christ or is it Christ's love for me? Now, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you about me. I'm not very good at loving God. I often fail at loving him. I often fail at not doing what I'm supposed to do when it comes to pleasing him. So I, I can tell you right now, it only took me a few minutes to realize the love that constrains me is not my love for him, it's his love for me. And so it says the love of Christ constraineth us. So what does this mean? What, well, let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about this love. The example of this love. This love is agape love. Agape love is the, the deepest, most intimate love there is. It is affection, goodwill, benevolence. It is loving someone without expecting anything in return. That's his love. But how did Christ display his love? Now, I'm going to ask you to turn to a few passages just pretty much for this section, and we're going to come right back here. But I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it explains that Christ's love is independent. It says in verse 19, 1 John 4, 4, 19, it says, we love him because he first loved us. I can guarantee you that if you're in a relationship right now, if you're in a dating relationship, and college is a great place to meet someone, but by the way, if you don't meet them in college, God will provide some other place. But I will guarantee you, you will probably love people who love you back. And when people love you back, it's easier to love them. That's not how it is with Christ. That's not how it is with God. The reason we love him is because he first loved us. God loves us when we're dirty sinners deserving of hell. God loves us before we get saved. God loves us after we get saved and sin and mess up and make mistakes. God loves us in spite of us. His love is independent. Then let's go back to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Now, in John chapter 11, verse 35, how many of you know what that verse says? John eleven thirty-five. 35. Jesus wept. <laughs> this is happening now when Lazarus had died, Jesus wept. And so we hear that and we use that, you know, when someone says, hey, quote a, quote a scripture, and we go, John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. But I want you to notice John 11, 35 and 36. It says, verse 35, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, so while at this funeral for Lazarus, it says, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. It was as if they stood back and they looked at Jesus and they looked at the tears coming down his face 
And they looked at his sorrow and his weeping as he cried over his friend Lazarus. And they said, whoa, that's love. Christ's love is moving. It says, oh, how he loved him. John 15, verse 9, the word of God says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Christ's love for us is perfect. He loves us like God loves him and as he loves God. His love is perfect. His love is final. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not height, not depth, not any other creature, not anything can separate us from the love of God. You are, you are so much loved by God, college student. I want you to understand this. You are so much loved by God that if you were to bow your knees right now and say, God, I am not worthy of your love. Can you please stop loving me? He wouldn't do it. He's just going to love you. And no doubt I'm talking to someone this morning. You beat yourself up. There's nothing I could say from this pulpit to make you feel worse than you already do. And I'm here to tell you, as much as you've messed up, as bad as it may seem, as many times have you failed, Jesus loves you. So the verse says, the love of Christ constrains us. The word constrain is made up of two words, sun and echo. It's used 12 times in scripture. I want you to listen to what the word, the various meanings of this word is. It means to hold together, to press on every side. It means a strait to force a ship into a narrow channel of cattle to squeeze and push the cattle to allow them to go through the gate, to hold to compress. Paul says this love, when, when he thinks about this love that Jesus has for him, when he thinks about this great agape love, Paul says it compresses me, it squeezes me, it, 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 it forces me, it influences me to do things I would never do. Paul said the love of Christ constrains me. Now I'll tell you what constrains most of us. Two things constrain most of us, if not all. Fear of punishment. We do what we do so we don't get punished, if we're honest. We obey the law so we don't go to jail. We obey our parents so we don't get in trouble. We obey the, 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 the school rules so we don't get the merits. We, we obey because of fear of punishment, and then we obey and we do things for hope of, re of reward. We hope that if we get good grades, that dad would buy us a car. We hope if we do right, we could get an award. We hope if we do right, we can get a good job and we could get these things. So really, what, what motivates us a lot of times, and unfortunately, even in our Christian life, is that we are, uh, there's a fear of punishment and there's a hope of reward. Paul said, those things don't move me. 
Paul said, I'm not concerned about those things. He says, here's what constrains me. Here's what influences me. Here's what pushes me. The love of Christ, when I think about his love, it forces me to do things that I would never do. I like this definition. One, one, one um, author put, he says, as employed in the text, it intimates, it, it, it intimates that the love of Christ exerts somewhat of this mighty and well-nigh irresistible influence on his people as often as it takes full possession of their souls, captivating their every thought, engaging their every affection, shutting them closely up or hemming them completely in so that only one line or conduct can be adopted by them urging all their energies into action, bearing them on the face of every obstacle and leaving them with no alternative but to obey its dictates. The love of Christ should be what motivates you to get up in the morning. The love of Christ should be what motivates you to get on your knees and pray in the morning. The love of Christ is what should motivate you to open the word of God in the morning. The love of Christ is what should motivate you to go to class and study well because you're not getting trained just for a job, you're getting trained for a mission field. The love of Christ should motivate you. The question I have for you students is this, what motivates you? What is it that motivates you? Yeah, I do some Christian service. Why? Well, we have certain rules and regulations. Well, my friends ask me to do it. Well, nobody else is doing it. If, is that what motivates you? Then you need to think about the love of Christ. It says the love of Christ, Paul said, that's what constrains him. It affected his service. It affected his worship. It affected his walk. It affected his faithfulness. Paul said the love of Christ affects every aspect of my life. Do you know how much you are loved right now? And I'm not talking about some silly love of some, you know, some crush or some teenager over another teen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you are loved by the God of the universe. You are loved by somebody in Psalm 139. You are loved by somebody who knows every intimate detail about your life. He knows your thoughts are far off. He knows your mistakes. He knows the mistakes you've made. He knows the mistakes you are making, and he knows the mistakes you will make, and yet he still loves you. And if that doesn't motivate you to serve this God, I don't know what else could. And that's why he put here, Paul put here when we go back to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We see the evidence of this love. It says, for, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we can thus judge. We can determine this, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. You say, preacher, have you ever, have you, have you ever said this? I don't feel loved. And maybe somebody here today says, 
I know what the Bible says, but I've not experienced that love. Well, you may not feel the love, but this verse reminds us of something that happened to over 2,000 years ago on a cross of Calvary. And if you ever have any doubt about how much God loves you, you look at that blood-stained cross. And that blood-stained cross is exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C, exhibit D, that God loves you. There's an empty tomb as well because our Savior lives. And so Paul comes to this conclusion, verse 15. He says, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The love, the agape love of Christ constrains, impels, influences, presses upon Paul to live the life that Jesus wants him to live. Some of you are struggling right now, and there's a struggle that, and I'll be honest with you, you may be thinking, well, once I finish college, I won't have this struggle anymore. You're going to have this, I, I'm living proof. You're going to continue to have this struggle, and you could ask any one of these other Christians, you're going to still have this struggle. There's a struggle between what God wants you to do and what you want to do. And that's going to be a struggle. And for some of you, that's a struggle right now. In fact, some of you are afraid to say, you know what? All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Because here's what you're saying. If I surrender all to Jesus, suppose he calls me to be a preacher. Suppose he calls me to some mission field. Suppose I don't get to do the job that I really wanted. Do you know I wanted to be this when I was a child? I know, I know about that. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I love the ocean. And if you, it's just a, a shameless plug, but if you've ever seen a more beautiful ocean than the Bahamas, you could show it to me. But that's just a shameless plug, okay? I wanted to be a marine biologist. I love the ocean. I love Shark Week uh, on, on, the, on the different shows. I love dolphins. I love stingrays. I love all that kind of stuff. I love it. I love it. I love it. And that was my plan. My plan was I'm going to be a marine biologist. I'm going to get a government job make some money, and live the good life. And when I was about 17 years old, I met the same preacher who taught us about the John 11918, sorry, Psalm 11918. And God began to speak to my heart, and he said, uh, I don't want you to be a marine biologist. I want you to be a preacher. Now, if you think for some second that I'm standing here because my dad was a preacher and my dad's dad was a preacher and so I'm standing on the shoulders of those men. Folks, my dad got saved three days before he passed away of cancer. I could remember praying with my dad once. So I'm not here talking about some heritage of godly men and, and I grew up in a great Christian foundation. No. And, and if that's you, praise the Lord. <laughs> that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's praise the Lord. I, I wish I had that. I didn't. 
But I'm here to tell you, I'm, I, I, didn't, I didn't choose this life because someone ahead of me chose it. I choose, chose this life because the love of Christ impelled me to do it. What else could I do? Who else can you serve that can love you like Jesus? I'll wait. Folks, I don't even like myself half the time. And this Jesus loves me. And every morning I wake up, if nobody says, I love you, Kwame, Jesus loves me. If no one says, I'm for you, Kwame, Jesus does. So my question is, are you going to continue to hold on to your will? Or are you going to release your will and, and hold on to God's will for your life? You say, well, why should I love him? Because he loves you. The love of Christ constrains us. So what do we do with this message? Live for Jesus. I want you to notice, notice chapter 4. Notice what Paul says. Verse 1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Because ministry gets tiring. He goes on and it says, Verse 6, for God, who, hath, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. It goes on, it says in verse number 8 and 9, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Goes on, verse, verse 11. Oh, verse, yeah, verse 11. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Verse 12. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Verse 16. For, this, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For a light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. Paul says, this is what I go through. This is what I deal with. This is, the, this is the pain, and I don't think, and I'm troubled on every side, and I, and I got problems, and I got issues, but I still serve God. I still follow God. I still answer the call. Why? Because of his love for me. And that's why I do what I do. I hope and pray that I never stop serving God. I hope and pray that I could stand fast and serve him to the end. And I hope that I can say this one day, I never stopped loving God because he never stopped loving me. 
And I don't know what motivates you, young person. I, and I, I, I get it, I get it. Some of you are here because dad said, if you don't go to Christian college, you're gonna pay for it yourself. I got you, I understand. But could you see this as possibly his will for your life? Could you see this as possibly God saying, not your will, but mine be done. Because Paul said everything he did in his life was under one motivation, the love of Christ. And I hope, college student, that when it's all said and done, you can look back on your life and people could ask, hey, why did you do that? Why do you give 10% of your income to, to a church? Why do you go to church three days a week? Why do you teach your family the word of God? Why do you, why, you could have been a great athlete and been in the NBA or the NFL or, the, or, the, or, or Major League Baseball. Why did you choose to do that instead? Why did you go to a, this Christian college instead of going to some major, why, did, why, why, why? And I hope one day you could stand back and say this. I did what I did because I couldn't even control myself because of how much God loved me. And when I thought about his love for me, it just motivated me and influenced me to do things to honor and glorify him. The love of Christ constrained Paul. What constrains you? You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.